These have been challenging times, but the body of Christ has proven itself resilient. We've gathered in different ways, in different places, yet stood steadfast as the church. We have found peace in God's promise to never leave us or forsake us. In our separation, we have remained united. In our struggle, we have lived out our faith. In the midst of the unknown, we have leaned on the strength of an all-knowing God. Throughout history, the church has thrived in adversity, and this moment is no different. The power of God is unstoppable, His love unending, His grace unrelenting, His glory undeniable. Today, no matter where we gather, we remain God's people. Our mission has not changed. Our calling has not been altered, and nothing, absolutely nothing, will ever change that. We are the church, and today we stand resilient. So by the fourth time today, I'll have it down that I come after the video's done. So happy Mother's Day to you all. I know that not every person sitting out there is a mom, but I bet each and every one of you has someone, a woman in your life that has cared for you, has nurtured you. In fact, each one of us had a mother or has a mother. Um, my mother um, passed away 18 years ago, but even now, I have women, many of them in this congregation, that, that support me and encourage me. And so today is a, is a time to celebrate all women. And you men out there that are saying, oh, in six weeks we celebrate you. So hey, <laughs> it works out. So my name is Sherry Oxendale, and it's my honor to be the associate pastor here at First United Methodist Church and to bring God's word to you. So last week I sat down to write this morning's message, and um, I'd done lots of reading and hours of preparation. I had my notes, I had my morning coffee, my house was quiet, and I sat down and 90 minutes later, I actually typed the first word. And the reason is, is when my screen came to life, there was a Google photo album on there that popped up, and it was sent to us from my um, daughter, Brooke, and her husband, Brett. They, they had their first baby last Sunday and during the traditional service, so I, I couldn't tell anybody, and here it's on my phone. And so this is Isla. And so it's amazing to me how a grandma can spend 90 minutes looking at 25 photos <laughs> and little short videos. So the point of me showing this to you beyond bragging that I am now a first-time grandma in the Hevelos, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Jim and Sue Hevelo also are first-time grandparents. Our children, yeah. <laughs> so... Our children met right here in youth group, and they didn't start dating until college, and now their family is growing, so we're excited about that. So actually, the point is, I was sidetracked, and life is that way. Our walk with Jesus can be that way. People come to Christ, and they have lots of enthusiasm, and then all of a sudden, things get in the way. Maybe it's a career drive, maybe it's sports, clubs, 
Maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's TV, whatever it is, what happens is these hobbies and these outside forces seem to take up our time and squeeze out the time that we should or can or should really be dedicating to healthy relationships with those around us and a strong relationship with God. So we're starting a new sermon series today called Living a Resilient Life. And today's message is about finishing what you start. And the scripture that we have today speaks exactly to that. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Hebrews 12, or if you use an electronic device, that's what we'll be looking at. And we'll have the scripture on the screen, so no worries. But sometimes I find it beneficial to see where that scripture's coming from within the Bible, so you can see it in context. And for myself, whenever I read the Bible or even a book, I like to know the answer to um, a few questions, like who wrote this, who were they writing it to, when was it written, and why was it written? And so I wanted to answer that for you about the passage, the scripture that we're going to go through today. So first off, we all want to know that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Hands down, that's what it is. It's the inspired word of God. It was written to the generations that came before us. It's written to us now, and it's written to the generations that will come after us. That's no question about that. And as far as the purpose of that, we've just finished a series called Long Story Short, and I know that you heard this for 12 weeks. I got to hear it like three times every week, but it's like the Bible is 66 books, written over three continents by 40 different authors with one purpose. And that purpose is to, it's God drawing people closer to him so he can have a right relationship with them. And that's true for the book of Hebrews. The thing is, is that if we dig a little deeper, the Bible can have more meaning to us. So if we think about what human actually penned this, wrote this, well, guess what? We don't know. So <laughs> for the book of Hebrews, um, there's been many theologians and historians that have researched that, and the only thing that they've come up with is it could have been Paul, it could have been Peter, it could have been Priscilla. It just had to be somebody that called Timothy a brother. That's the, only, that's the clue that they have. We do know who it was written to. Hebrews was written to the Hebrew um, Jews, basically. Well, Hebrew is Jew, so Hebrew Christians. So the Jewish Christians of that time. And it was written about 70 AD, um, before the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. And the reason it was written is because the Jewish Christians were starting to fall away from the faith. And what, they, what had happened is they had previously been Jews where they had temples, they had, they had certain rituals that they followed and things like this, and they were being persecuted. Not only by the Romans of that time, but also other Jews were, were persecuting them both verbally and physically. So it was easy to slip back into old ways or to pick up old habits. The why um, was that, and I'm just going to jump right in, um, knowing that at those times, the people needed to be reminded, and I think at these times, in these times, we need to be reminded that Jesus is the Messiah. He is where we need to place our focus. So Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 
So in your mind's eye, picture the faithful people cheering you on. Cheering you on like this life here on this earth is like an Olympic event. And they want you to persevere. They want you to go forward. They want you to throw off all that's holding you back so that you can live into the life that God has planned for you. So picture that. And then think of who you are picturing. I know that I would think of the people that have gone before me that I know, like my mom and my dad, my brother, grandparents, probably some pastors and, and some Sunday school teachers. But that's not what this verse is saying. When the word cloud, I guess, too, we tend to think of the fluffy white clouds, and since they're talking about heaven, sometimes our view of heaven is fluffy white clouds. But the word cloud, translated from the Greek and the Latin both, actually refers to the amount of, amount of something, and in this case, people. So instead of just thinking about the people that we know are cheering us on in this life from heaven, it is really all the Christians that have gone before us. So we're talking about Noah's cheering you on, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Ruth, Naomi, Priscilla, Esther, Mary. I mean, it's an infinite number. And all of these people are cheering you on that you can, you can have faith and you can move forward and you can be the person God intended you to be. Um, what happens though, there are, there's sin and there are stumbling blocks. And sometimes the choices we make, it's not necessarily between sinning and not sinning, it's just between choosing something that's going to hinder our walk and something that releases us. So sometimes it's important to think about, is a relationship really something that is healthy? Or is it something that I need to let go of and move forward? There are always stumbling blocks and hindrances in our, in our life. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he um, put it this way. He said, what we need to do is be habitually filled with the love of God and neighbor. And as having the mind of Christ and walking as he walked. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. As Hebrews 12.2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus walked this earth and lived a human life. And in doing this, he gave us an example to follow. He experienced all the human needs and emotions. He experienced hunger and fullness, coldness and warmth, tears and laughter, anger and contentment, disappointment and joy. He suffered a horrible death on the cross. He was bitten. He was bitten. He may have been. He was spat on. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was stripped naked and humiliated until he died. Now, he did this because he had his eye on God. He knew that his sacrifice would result on saving us and saving the people that came before and the people that came after, his death resulted in a redeemed world that all people could come together and praise God. Hebrews 12 continues, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So Jesus doesn't ask us to do more than what he himself has already done. 
There are times that we feel alone and that nobody understands us. Nobody knows what we're going through, and there will never be anybody that, that feels that way. I, in my life, probably the time I felt most alone was probably the time I was most surrounded by people. It was when I was in college. I lived in a dormitory, so there were hundreds of people there. I was an SA, so a staff assistant, and that's in the dorm. I was running track, so I had a team. I attended a local church. I had my deep grades were decent. My family was always supportive. On the outside, it looked like there was nothing wrong, but I knew something was wrong. I felt empty. And then one day, um, my pastor called and he said, Sherry, I'd, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, okay, come on down to the dorm. And at the time, looking back, I think, man, he was really out of his element. And I'm sure I was so self-absorbed, I didn't notice it. He was about 70 years old, and so I took him to Ford Hall. It, well, okay, so it was an all-woman's dorm. And so back in the day, I am a grandma, back in the day, <laughs> in, at Ford Hall at K-State, if you brought a man up on the floor, you had to open the door. When you opened the door to your floor, you had to yell, man on floor. So nobody was running around in their house coat because we had community bathrooms and stuff. So I did make this, I did remember I took him up in the elevator instead of running up all the steps. So that was good. But we went in and we sat down and he said, I just want to visit with you about your faith. And we did. Later I found out it was because my mom had called him and she was very concerned because I was involved in Campus Crusade, which is a legitimate Christian organization. <laughs> But at the end of our conversation, he said, Sherry, I'd like you to prayerfully consider taking a job with the church. And I, believe me, I had a full schedule. I slept about four hours a night. But he said, um, I think this is what you need to do. And I said, I'll pray about it. And I did take it with the caveat that I could ask a friend to do it with me. I didn't have the time to devote to the whole thing. And I did that until I graduated. And it helped me. That job helped me to focus on Jesus. Instead of the busyness of life, I had filled my schedule so full. Instead of the busyness of life, I could focus on that. Hebrews 12 continues and says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. I already read that scripture. <laughs> The Bible reminds us over and over again of the comfort and peace that comes from knowing that God knows us and that we know God when we know God. And I would like to share with you Psalm 139. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And then there's John 3:16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And he loves us to the point of sacrificing his son. This is Mother's Day. Can you imagine sacrificing a child? I cannot. And this is God. He didn't have to do that. We may be struggling now with bad choices, or, and it might be our own choice, or it might have been a choice somebody else made down the line, or it could even be a choice society made. But what we know and what we are called to do is to persevere, overcome those stumbling blocks, and move forward because God has a plan. 
Jesus intimately knows our struggles, the big ones and the small ones. We're to keep our eyes on him and persevere, continuing forward with hope and joy, knowing that all the saints are cheering us on, wanting us to do well. They're not wanting stumbling blocks for us, but they know that overcoming them makes us stronger. The Apostle Paul wrote, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Typically, the scripture from Hebrews, a sermon would probably contain analogies of running because it has the part that says, run with perseverance. And I could easily do that. I mean, I have friends, I have children, I myself have run in the past, don't do it anymore. And I could do that, but instead I'd like to share with you the lives of two people. One is a biblical character and the other one is um, a star, a movie star. So the person from the Bible is Mary Magdalene. I can't say I've ever heard a sermon on Mary Magdalene, but I've seen her represented in the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, the movie The Da Vinci Code, the film The Last Temptation of Christ, and none of those accurately portray Mary Magdalene. Now, that's not a modern-day phenomenon. Clear back in the year 591, Pope Gregory presented Mary Magdalene mistakenly, with the attributes of two other women, a prostitute and a sinful woman. And so that has been handed down through the centuries that that's who Mary Magdalene was because there were other priests that just quoted the Pope. Today, in this time, um, the Catholic Church has tried to undo that. Um, There's actually a feast day on July 22nd that is for Saint Mary Magdalene. That just happened in 2016. And... A while back, it was when St. Thomas Aquinas gave her that title. I am only going to, there's so much to be done on Mary Magdalene, but I'm just going to tell you what is in the Bible so you can see how Mary Magdalene kept her focus on Jesus and lived her life that way. So from Luke, it's in all four Gospels, Mary Magdalene is. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and disease. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chudza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So this scripture tells us that Mary Magdalene was cured by Jesus. She traveled with him, was a disciple like the other ones, because disciple is follower, and she used her own money to support Jesus' ministry. Mary Magdalene was also at the cross when Jesus died. So from Matthew. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's sons. From Mark. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and the younger and mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. From John, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was there when Jesus was laid in the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Mary Magdalene visited Jesus' tomb later, after his death, to honor him. From Matthew, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. 
from Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Solomon brought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body. And from John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She was the first. Mary Magdalene was the first to see the empty tomb and the resurrected Christ. Mark, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. There's a longer verse from John that I'd like to read, John 20. It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, Why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to him, said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary Magdalene was the first to spread the good news that Jesus lives. The very first, which is what we are all called to do. This is how she did it. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So Mary Magdalene was a central figure, even found later in the Gnostic Gospels. What those are, they are documents that were found in Egypt in 1946, and they have been certified as being written during the time of Jesus. And there's part of it that is the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. It shows that she was with the disciples and actually was called the Apostle of the Apostles. Um, So there is a lot on that. So she went on to build the church also, right along with Peter. It's just a difference in time. She kept her focus on Jesus to his death and then continued to follow him after his resurrection. The other example I want to offer is Denzel Washington, and he's an actor and a star of lots of movies, Glory, Fences, A Soldier Story, Malcolm X, Crimson Tide, and the list goes on. I think there's over 50 of them. But here's a commencement speech that he delivered at Dillard University. Put God first. Put God first in everything you do. Everything that you think you see in me, everything that I've accomplished, everything that you think I have, and I have a few things, everything that I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It's a gift. 40 years ago, March 27th, 1975, it was 40 years ago, uh, just this past March, I was flunking out of college. I had a 1.7 grade point average. I hope none of you can relate. (laughs) I had a 1.7 grade point average. I was sitting in my mother's beauty shop. They still call it beauty shop now? What they call it now? Yeah, I was sitting in the beauty parlor. I was sitting in my mother's beauty parlor, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I see behind me this woman under the dryer, 
And every time she looked up, she every time I looked up, she was looking at me, just looking me in the eye. And I didn't know who she was, and I said, you know, she said, somebody give me a pen, give me a pencil, I have a prophecy. March 27, 1975, she said, boy, you are going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Now, mind you, I was flunked out of college. I'm thinking about joining the army. I didn't know what I was going to do. And she's telling me I'm going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Well, I have traveled the world. And I have spoke to millions of people. But that's not the most important thing, the success that I had. The most important thing is that what she taught me and what she told me that day has stayed with me since. I've been protected. I've been directed. I've been corrected. I've kept God in my life and has kept me humble. I didn't always stick with him, but he always stuck with me. So stick with him in everything you do. If you think you want to do what you think I've done, then do what I've done and stick with God. So stick with God in everything we do. He said he was protected, directed, and corrected so that he could stick with God. How do we do that? How do we keep our focus on Jesus so we can finish the race strong? We do it through spiritual practices prioritizing our understanding of God's instructions and then practicing what he tells us to do. We worship in community like you're doing right now. We pray without ceasing. We help others in any way we can. We're kind and forgiving. We seek ways to do better and be better. Life gives us stumbling blocks and distractions. But scripture tells us in the last part of this section of scripture from Hebrews 12, 12 through 13, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. By practicing spiritual disciplines, we make ourselves strong and resilient, ready to run the race that God has set before us, confident that he who began a good work in us will complete that work until the day Christ comes and we are with him. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your protection, direction, and correction. We thank you for our mothers and other women in our lives who have supported, encouraged, protected, and corrected us. Let us remember that you are always with us, along with the saints in heaven, cheering us on as we strengthen our feeble arms and legs to run the race and live this life as you have called us. Almighty God, you are the creator of heaven and earth, and you have formed us in your image. You have breathed into us the breath of life, and while we have turned away, your love for us remained constant. And now you have made a covenant with us. You alone are holy and perfect in all your ways. In your perfection, you have sent your Son so that we might find life through him. For this we give you thanks. Amen.